imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor.
Good morning, everybody. That was our opening set. <clears throat> this is the Labor and Love Radio, by the way. This is Mutiny Radio, and our show every Saturday morning is Labor and Love Radio from 10 to 12 in the morning. The show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, <coughs> Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're on the menu. And 
Never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Of course, they don't want you to have a union. Of course, they don't want you to ally across ethnic, cultural lines. Your work makes them rich. And now we're in a situation where they're just leaving us hanging. So many of us out on the street depending on that job for income. <coughs> Under capitalism, you have to sell your life to survive. You have to sell the thing you want to sustain. And now they're letting us hanging. Pelosi argues with McConnell, argues with Trump. And there's no stimulus coming, even though we've been warned not to go out. Stay home, they say. What if you can't stay home? What do you do? You need a job. You want your place to open up. Yet and still, you want to remain safe. Who's going to take care of your kids during the day? The schools are closed, too. No, no, they're, they're letting us hang. We'll see how long it takes before they make a deal. Okay. Before we get to our credos, I'd just like to identify that first set. We ended with the chicks a.k.a. the Dixie Chicks, before they were the Dixie Chicks, changed their name to take the name Dixie, which implies a uh, slave-owning country. That was Gaslighter, referring to a lawyer, a liar, the 10 o'clock scholar, so a liar. Um, and before that, we had Donna Summer talking about she works hard for the money. One of the best, you know, girl worker songs anytime. But works hard for the money. Pay attention to those people who support you with their work, with their underpaid work. And before that, Summit Ridge Drive, just a nice wake-up wake up call on Saturday morning. A beautiful, lyrical, Instrumental with Artie Shaw and his Grammar C5. Well, let's see. What do we got today? We're going to play a couple of songs. Malvina's Reynold, Malvina Reynolds' song about rape and how a judge lets a rapist off. Grammarly does more than catch air. We're going to have uh, Radio Labor. We're going to have a song from the, from the movie Battle of Algiers. Okay. Ali's theme, thanks to my daughter Vika. Labor history in two minutes. What happened today in labor history? Mr. Block makes a triumphant return. 
Mr. Block, the work of uh, labor cartoonist Ernest Riele. Um Mr. Block was sort of resuscitated by Nick Thorkelson, a labor cartoonist. Uh, we'll hear from Mr. Block. Who was Ben Fletcher? Okay, Ben Fletcher, one of the champions of the labor movement by W.W. Labor's looking forward to a re rebirth, given a Biden victory. Patty Smith, Allen Ginsberg. Mr. Trump has threatened to uh, leave the country if he loses the election. <laughs> Who's th what's that going to do? Mm, I don't know. He's going to leave the country if he loses. Well, that's amazing. <coughs> Can't even consider that. Okay. Let's see. at our credos. These are credos that we share on this show and they're kind of things we swear upon. Credos. Labor and Love Radio. Okay, here's one from Robert Reich. Everyone talks about the stock market going up and down, right? The Dow is up 21 points. The Dow rallied today after giving back the richest 1% own half of the stock market. And the richest 10% own almost all of it. So when people like Trump brag about the stock market, he's not talking about the economy that 90% of Americans inhabit. When you hear that man or woman on the news show saying, oh, the Dow was up today, Right? They're talking to 10% of the people. They're talking to the rich, the well-to-do, the investors. Another credo. I think Labor Day should now be called Labor Memorial Day because organized labor has never been weaker in our country than it is now. Most of us don't even know the, la the Labor Day holiday, what it's supposed to commemorate. Commemorates labor unions. Unions. 
this one. When the penalty for aborting, getting an abortion after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape, that's when you know it's a war on women. <coughs> Imagine that. A woman gets raped, doesn't want to have the baby. And she gets penalized for getting an abortion. And her penalty is worse than what the rapist gets. Hello? Hello, America. Are you out there? Immigrants. What about the immigrant question? Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall deport the illegals bullshit is just the 1%. Convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that we're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason they are all poor is due to the vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. You're poor because you're not getting paid enough. Hello? Not because of some plot to take over America. Continuing on with our credos. Democratic Socialists of America, Los Angeles branch, wrote this one. Oh, so you're just not that into politics? Your boss is. Your landlord is. Your insurance company is. And every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. It's time to get into politics. Well, I'm getting a, uh, sorry, this isn't available right now. So let's see what this one is. Pity the Nation. This is kind of the theme poem of our show. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silent, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero and aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed 
Pity the nation, oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tears of thee, sweet land of liberty. By Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Thank you. Thank you, Lawrence. Close this off. Remove. Remove. Okay. I was looking for Allen Ginsberg. Well, okay. Okay. Labor and Love Radio. And it is time for Radio Labor. Listen to a little music first. Let's talk about Ben Fletcher. Um, ben Fletcher was an early 20th century African-American labor leader and public speaker. He was a prominent member of the IWW, or the Wobblies, most influential radical union of its time. I would say of any time, American labor union most radical, militant. Fletcher helped lead Local 8, the largest, most powerful, and longest-lasting irrational um, uh, union of its time, the, the IWW, called the Wobblies. Okay. And um, Ben Fletcher was uh, wobbly. And what's happening is that PM Press is publishing a book now about the life of Ben Fletcher. 
And you can help publish this book by looking up Ben Pletcher, Life and Times of a Black Wobbly, the story of one of the greatest heroes of the American working class, a brilliant union organizer, and a humorous orator of the industrial workers of the world. This stirring collection gives us the drama, largely in its own exciting words, of the life and work of black radical labor leader Ben Fletcher. Why do they say black? I guess to um, independently. Largely in his own exciting words. Okay, this is a, a very important sort of history that we need to know. Okay, These are the kinds of things that are forgotten when history is rewritten. In the early 20th century, when many U.S. unions disgracefully excluded black and Asian workers, the IWW warmly welcomed people of color, keeping with their emphasis on class solidarity and their bold motto, an injury to one is an injury to all. Ben Fletcher, The Life and Times of a Black Wobbly, tells the story of one of the greatest heroes of the American working class. There you go. A brilliant union organizer and a humorous orator, Ben Fletcher, who lived from 1890 to 1949, was a tremendously important and well-loved African-American member of the IWW during its heyday. Fletcher helped found and lead local aid of the IWW's Marine Transport Workers Industrial Union, unquestionably the most powerful interracial union of its era, taking a principled stand against all forms of xenophobia and exclusion. Get a Ben Fletcher T-shirt. Ben Fletcher, it's a Kickstarter. Ben Fletcher, the life and times of an American wobbly. Let's see. I'd like to uh, find the Wikipedia. Okay, Ben Fletcher was born in Philadelphia in 1890. He worked as a day laborer and a longshoreman, loading and unloading ships. Fletcher joined the IWW and the Socialist Party around 1912. He first heard IWW soapbox speakers addressing working audiences in Riverside neighborhoods. Shortly thereafter, Fletcher became a leader of the IWW in Philadelphia, beginning a long career in public speaking that won him a great many accolades for his fine voice and incisive arguments for overthrowing capitalism. Fletcher was a prominent member of the IWW's Philadelphia branch, Local 8, 
In May 1913, thousands of longshoremen struck for better wages and union recognition. Their new union, the IWW. Following the strike, Fletcher became leader of Local 8 and was celebrated in the Wobbly Press. Local aid in general and Fletcher in particular tended to prove one of the anti-capitalist central tenets. Race was used to divide workers who shared a more important identity, that of class. To this very day, one of the favorite practices of capitalism is to divide us play us off against one another. While the nation is still as divided hotly, it is undeniable that thousands of African-American longshoremen belong on an equal terms to whites in an organization that proved interracialism was not only possible, but essential. This is Fletcher's Union. As America formally entered World War I, Philadelphia became one of the most important ports in the world. Engaged in only a single work stoppage, Local 8's anniversary was celebrated with a one-day strike. The federal government targeted Local 8's leaders, Fletcher included, in its national raids on the IWW. Fletcher was the only African-American among the hundred members of the IWW tried in 1918 for treason. And their treason was to say, to say that working people should not join the war and slaughter working people from other countries. They had a common interest. If all the defendants were found guilty, court came back under an hour. Fletcher was fined $30,000 and sentenced to Leavenworth. Bill Haywood, leader of the IWW, reported that Ben Fletcher sidled over to me and said, the judge has been using very ungrammatical language. I looked at his smiling black face and asked, how's that, Ben? He said, his sentences are much too long. Fletcher's release became a celebrated cause among African-American radicals, including The Messenger, a monthly co-edited by A. Philip Randolph. Fletcher served three years before his sentence was commuted, along with the rest of the jailed Wobblies, in 1922. He remained committed to the IWW, but not as active as he had before. Stayed involved, but generally remained in the background. Gave occasional speeches health failed while he was still young. 
from the longshore work and other manual labor. He moved to Bedford-Stuyvesant in New York, in Brooklyn, with his wife, where he worked as a building superintendent until he died in 1949. So, help bring back Ben Fletcher. Help make sure that Ben Fletcher doesn't... Uh, doesn't end up being forgotten. See if we can get radio labor. Oh, we'll leave it on here for a time. All right, Ben Fletcher. Uh, remember the name. This is one from Labor Notes. Trump's Anti-Worker Labor Board. Uh, Trump keeps repeating that his agenda is pro-worker, but he's ruthlessly attacked federal workers, granted more tax cuts for the rich, and severely weakened the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. And now undermining Social Security. He wants to use Social Security funds. Uh, what he wants to do is cut off the tax that people pay, Social Security tax, which would mean the end of Social Security as we know it. And so many people are depending on it, especially now in COVID times. In a few short years, Republicans have used the opportunity presented by the Trump administration to attack workers in ways we haven't seen since before the Great Depression. But these seismic shifts in labor relations rarely get highlighted in the media. They should alarm anyone who cares about working people's basic rights. Labor Relations Board are the most striking example of the anti-worker agenda. The all-Republican board and the NR and the only all-Republican board in the NLRB's 85-year history. At the head of the board is the general counsel, whom workers depend on to actually prosecute cases. Trump's pick was management lawyer Peter Robb. Trump board has dutifully pursued a corporate wish list of 10 items put out by the Chamber of Commerce in early 2017. Board members have already taken action on all 10. These priorities include delaying union elections, restricting the ability of employees to communicate about workplace issues and enhancing the ability of employers to determine bargaining units. 
NLRB under Trump is on a determined mission to destroy the last vestiges organized labor working people have left. Anyway, read the whole article. Labor notes, it isn't fun reading, but it is good to be informed. It is good to know what's going on and how our rights are being taken away so that when you, maybe when you get to court, all of a sudden you don't have any rights. All right. Let's see. Um, put on some music while we contemplate that. Um, how about the clash? Washington Bullets. Mama, mama, look there You children are playing in the street again Don't you know what happened down there? A youth of 14 got shot down there The cocaine guns are jammed downtown The killing clowns are blood money men Shooting ghosts Washington bullets again As every cell in Chile will tell The cries of the tortured men Remember a and the day before Before the army Remember Victor Hara in the Santiago Stadium.
judge said, screw them, boys, you're only human. They brought it on themselves by being born a woman like a mountain's there to climb and food's there to be eaten. Woman's there to rape, to be shoved around and beaten. The judge took his position, the judge he wouldn't budge, so we cut out the horse or dog or file laid a bank. Simonson will haul you in and throw you in the crank. But violate a woman, your equal and your peer. The judge will slap you on the wrist and lay the blame on her. The judge took his position. The judge, he wouldn't budge. So he got out this position and we're gonna screw the judge. conclusion from what Simonson has said. Woman has to live in fear and cover up her head. She has to dress in Florida and lock herself in cages. And this kinky judge in Madison is from the Middle Ages. The judge took his position, the judge he wouldn't budge. So we got out this position and we're gonna dump the judge. Trying to play the Battle of Algiers here. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
All right. That was uh, Ali's theme from the Battle of Algiers. Um, Battle of Algiers um, film from the 1960s portraying the struggle between um, nationalist liberation forces in Algeria and the French army. And the French were very creative colonialists. Uh, they invent, they used uh, massive amounts of torture, intimidation, rape. They were the bully boys, keeping the uh, native population down and keeping the white colonists, settlers, we would call them, they're called now, even though they do a hell of a lot more than settle. Um, so this is a struggle to the death, the Battle of Algiers. Eventually the revolution triumphed and the French had to leave Algeria under the leadership of Charles de Gaulle. But it was a right-wing cause celebre that France hold on to its overseas colonies and protect its white colonists. And then uh, that was preceded by Malvina Reynolds. Um, Malvina Reynolds is singing about um, a case involving a judge in Wisconsin uh, where he gave, the he patted, let the rapist go and let sort of let this case happen, you know, where this young girl was had to prove that she was forced and all these the, the typical tactics of lawyers. Uh, so this is about a petition drive to get rid of that lawyer, which they did. They were able to do. So, Malvina Reynolds. Let's play our radio labor. Radio labor is our weekly feature, bringing labor news from all over the world. This is a Radio Labor World Report, recorded on Friday, October 16th, 2020. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, the plight of Amazon workers during the pandemic, dying of occupational disease in the U.S., the Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. The internet commerce giant Amazon is making even more money and stressing its workers during the pandemic. See Marie Ainsborough reports. As the pandemic encourages more internet-based commerce in many countries, labor organizations are warning about the business practices of Amazon. This comes as it was announced that Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, is soon to become the world's first trillionaire. In a webinar organized by the Trade Union Congress in the UK, 
the General Secretary of Uni Global Union, Christy Hoffman, described Amazon's predatory business practices and how it treats its workers. Uni represents more than 20 million unionized workers in 150 countries, many in the commerce sector. Ms. Hoffman. Just last week, it was announced that Jeff Bezos' wealth had increased to $200 billion, which means he could pay every one of his 875,000 employees an amount of $105,000 and still have the same wealth that he had back in February of 2020. That is an astounding problem, I would say. Just last week, a committee of the U.S. Congress called for dramatic measures to break up and regulate Amazon and the other tech giants, which is a real turning point for this industry. Amazon has only grown stronger doing, during the COVID pandemic. This crisis is radically reshaping our world. And one of its unfortunate side effects is the acceleration of Amazon's domination of our markets and many aspects of our lives, how we work, how we consume entertainment and communicate. But just to look at the figure in terms of its e-commerce, in the second quarter of 2020, the sales were 40% higher year on year, and its stock price was then and is still soaring. Uni represents commerce workers across the world. We know that the expansion of e-commerce during COVID is never going to go back to pre-COVID levels. And this growth in e-commerce has had an incredible impact on the commerce sector. The employers always say to us, well, we need to have a level playing field. Well, Amazon operates and intends to operate at a loss in Europe. It loses money. Is that fair for the brick and mortar stores, which occupy our cities and towns and what you would say in the UK are high street? No, of course not. Is that a, lay, a level playing field? Uh, is that a playing field that e we even want to occupy, let alone level? And of course, no, it's not good our, for our communities. It's not good for our workers. Amazon has an unfair advantage, doesn't pay taxes. Now, we already know the incredibly grueling pace of work in the Amazon warehouses. And I think we have to recognize that the growth of Amazon during the pandemic came off the backs of workers in many respects. The grueling working conditions, unrealistic productivity targets, surveillance, and a refusal to recognize or engage with unions unless absolutely forced. You can download a copy of the TUC's report about Amazon on its website at tuc.org.uk. This is Seamarie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. The moderator of the TUC webinar about Amazon was the Congress's General Secretary, Francis O'Grady. The TUC has long argued for fair shares from the benefits of technology. And frankly, the news last week that Jeff Bezos looks set to become a trillionaire is reason enough. But more than that, we've also argued for good business models that give fair treatment, decent work, uh, to workers, but also do good for the community. And we've got some key priorities about fair treatment and decent work, including that right, that human right to a trade union voice at work, fair taxes. Any good corporate citizen should be paying their whack into the pot at a time when we need our public services funded more than ever. And also 
tackling those bad business models. In many ways, Amazon can be seen as the godfather of surveillance capitalism uh, that has profound implications, not just for the shop floor, but for our democracy too. In the United States, 95,000 workers die of occupational diseases every year. That is one of the findings contained in a report recently released by the AFL-CIO, the country's largest labor federation. Richard Trumka is the AFL-CIO's president. Today, union members all across America are heroically and resiliently battling COVID-19. Union members love this country. Union members built this country. And union members are holding this country together on the front lines. You see, we package, we print, and we bake. We stock the shelves and we lift the loads. We build the roads, we fight the fires, and we heal the sick and suffering. We stand tall, and we don't run and we don't hide from hard work. But we do demand to be safe at work. And employers are not keeping us safe. But that's nothing new. Today, the AFL-CIO is releasing the 29th edition of the Death on the Job Report, The Toll of Neglect. And the findings from this report are once again deeply disturbing and utterly, utterly unacceptable. 5,250 working people in the United States were killed on the job in 2018. That's the most recent numbers we have. And an estimated 95,000 died from occupational diseases each year. That means each and every day, on average, 275 U.S. workers die from hazardous working conditions, conditions that were preventable. Two years before COVID-19 was declared a global pandemic, by the World Health Organization, workers in construction and transportation and agriculture were at the greatest risk of dying while earning a living. In 2018, more than 30,000 workers were assaulted because of workplace violence on the job causing serious injuries. These findings show what happens when our leaders in Washington play politics with our lives. It shows how ill-prepared our country was for this pandemic. It shows that workers have been on a collision course with the crisis we confront today. This was a crisis in the making. There were warning signs everywhere. But instead of listening to the experts, instead of hearing the voices of working people, Donald Trump and his administration decided to ignore them. The president put working people in harm's way. For nearly four years, President Trump has downplayed the role of safety organizations, agencies like OSHA and MSHA that are tasked with protecting workers. OSHA's meager resources kept declining while other agencies got boosts. Currently, Federal OSHA has only 746 inspectors. That's the lowest number of inspectors in the history of the agency. 
Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of their work. This week, the emerging trends in our news coverage include more court decisions establishing the labor rights of people employed by online platforms like Uber and Deliveroo. This week, it was the decision of a Chilean court that established their rights as formal employees. The decision inspired the creation of platform workers' unions in other Latin American countries, including Colombia. The announcement of the formation of UNDAP there and the launch of its organizing campaign is especially worth watching and supporting, as over 200 social movement leaders have been assassinated in Colombia so far this year. Another organizing surge we are following is amongst online games workers with new unions forming in the United States of America, Canada, France, Germany, and the United Kingdom. Pandemic-related news included national strikes by French and Greek healthcare workers over the need to hire more staff and to provide more and better personal protective equipment. The Greek workers are being supported by all Greek public sector workers who have called a national one-day solidarity strike this week. Indirectly related to the pandemic are the hundreds of news items Labor Start is carrying about the shift to telework and its implications for workers and for trade unions. Issues common to countries as disparate as India and Canada, Spain and Brazil include the cost of maintaining a home office, social isolation, physical safety, and legal responsibility for accidents and injuries. For our Working Women pages, our volunteers found news of the women workers' only hunger strike at an Albanian oil refinery, the flood of women healthcare workers leaving Iran, driven out by low wages and a lack of support during the pandemic, and how COVID-19 is driving a new activist wave amongst Ghanaian domestic workers. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories about the pandemic-related challenges facing underground mine workers, COVID chaos at Amazon facilities around the world, and the hazards faced by child workers in Thailand as their number increases. Our current photo of the week is of a demonstration organized by Labor Against the Arms Trade, a coalition of unions and individual workers in Canada. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity with Colombian miners who are fighting the imposition of what in their industry is known as the death shift. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Union Nation with an old industrial workers of the world song, She's a Rebel Girl.
Something, uh, something never before seen, and never likely to again either. May I welcome President President Ginsburg? Come on, Ginsburg! where I live 
I don't like dictatorship of the rich. I don't like bureaucrats telling me what to eat. I don't like police dogs sniffing around my feet. I don't like communist censorship of my books. I don't like Marxists complaining about my looks. I don't like Castro insulting members of my sex. Leftists insisting we got the holy six. I don't like capitalists selling me gasoline coke. Multinationals burning Amazon trees to smoke. Big corporation take over media mind. I don't like the top bananas that are robbing Guatemala banks blind. I don't like KGB Gulag concentration camps. I don't like the Maoist Cambodian Fifteen million were killed by Stalin, Secretary of Terror. He has killed our old red revolution forever. I don't like anarchists screaming, love is free. I don't like the CIA, they killed John Kennedy. Paranoid tanks sit in Prague and Hungary. But I don't like counter-revolution paid for by the CIA. Tyranny in Turkey or Korea, 1980. I don't like right-wing death squad democracy. Yesterday, Lazy Fair, please come and keep your secret police off of me. I don't like communism, don't like capitalism, nope. Everybody's lying on both sides. It's a joke. The bloody iron curtain of American military power is a mad mirror image of Russia's red bevel tower. No hope communism, no hope capitalism, yeah. Everybody's lying on both sides, yeah, yeah, yeah. The bloody iron curtain of American military power is a mad mirror image of Russia's red bevel tower. Jesus Christ was spotless but was crucified by the mob. Law and order, Herod's hired soldiers did the job. 
flower power's fine, but innocence has got no protection. The man who shot John Lennon had a hero worshipper's connection. The moral of the song is that the world is in a horrible place. Scientific industry devours the human race. Police in every country armed with tear gas and TV. Secret masters everywhere bureaucratized for you and me. Aware, aware, wherever you are, no fear. Trust your heart. Don't ride your paranoia, dear. Breathe together with an ordinary mind. Armed with humor, need and help enlighten. Whoa, mankind. Okay, well, we didn't get the end of The Rebel Girl. <clears throat> the Rebel Girl, of course, written by Joe Hill and um, dedicated to, the, to Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, a real standout organizer with the IWW. Let's look now at there's a website on Splinter called The Future of Labor. What's next for work and workers? And we hear from Sarah Nelson. Sarah Nelson wants to run that militant line all the way to the highest seat in labor. There's an argument to be made, she says, a plausible argument, even a strong argument that the political environment is right for a revival of organized labor in America. Only one thing is lacking, a truly charismatic national leader. Many people believe that Sarah Nelson is that leader. If she wants the title, she must first win the fight of her life. Sarah Nelson wants to run the FLCIO. That would make her the face of Americans' Union. She'll not quite come out and say so explicitly, and no one in a position of power can really say right now. You have to read between the lines. <coughs> Nelson, the head of the Association of Flight Attendants, has been involved for two decades in organized labor, but she only came to real national prominence when she gave a remarkably militant speech calling for the general strike during the depths of the Trump administration's long government shutdown. Made people pay attention. It was not boring or restrained or typical. It was hardcore. Sarah Nelson vaulted almost overnight from someone known primarily in the union world to a national leftist hero. She has not allowed her newfound prominence to fade away. 
for the past several months in non-stop speeches, rallies, interviews, and profiles. She has kept up her call. Hear a little bit from Sarah Nelson. Sexual harassment is not about sex. It's about power. Women can have a voice in their workplace and have respect on the job. We said to the industry, look, you cannot continue to allow us to work in an environment that was set up to be sexualized. We do need to denounce that era and set a new marker here. When the president is allowing this to go on, we are unsafe. Imagine how much stronger we can be if we check our biases and look for leaders in every gender, race, culture, and creed. Sometimes we fight by rallying, sometimes we fight by marching, sometimes we fight by singing, sometimes we fight by striking. But above all, when we fight, we fight together. Okay, that was uh, Sarah Nelson, a little blurb there of some of the things she said. Um, anyway, read the article. It's on Splinter. Uh, it's about Sarah Nelson. They say labor needs a party. Is that something? Something that should be discussed? With all these examples, tech and apps will not fix the labor movement. policy. Let's read this one. Abortion is a labor issue. Spend a lot of time this guy is writing, this woman is writing, Catlin Cruz, thinking about the future of my uterus. Well, all uteruses, really. I'm ambivalent, she says, about ever carrying a pregnancy to term, so I'm not describing the typical malaise that invades the minds of those who consider expanding their families. I spend a lot of time thinking about uteruses because I spend a lot of time thinking about abortions. Lately, I've been thinking about the labor it takes to provide them. She goes on to write about providing abortions as a skilled job. Most states require a licensed physician to perform at least some abortions. Nearly one in four women will have an abortion by the age of 45. Talking about abortion training. Okay, let's take a look now at Labor in Two. Labor in Two Minutes, Labor History in Two Minutes. Number one. October 17th. 
I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1987. That was the day that more than 100,000 people gathered in Paris to stand up against poverty and hunger. The gathering was inspired by Father Joseph Rasinski, a French Catholic priest. He founded the Altogether in Dignity Fourth World Movement, dedicated to addressing poverty. That day unveiled a commemorative stone to honor the victims of extreme poverty. The stone bears an image of two people, arms outstretched, releasing a bird into the sky. The stone's inscription read, On this day, defenders of human and civil rights from every continent gathered here. They paid homage to the victims of hunger, ignorance, and violence. They affirmed their conviction that human misery is not inevitable. They pledged their solidarity with all people who, throughout the world, strive to end extreme poverty. The site they chose to place the stone was significant. The Trocadero Plaza in Paris is where the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was proclaimed by the United Nations in 1948. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights affirmed the basic rights of all people, including the right to form and to join trade unions and the right to equal pay for equal work. Placing the commemorative stone at this important spot was a continuation of this legacy. In the years since then, on this very day, other cities around the world have commemorated replicas of the stone. Nearly 20 cities in France have dedicated stones. Cities in Canada, Mexico, Switzerland, Belgium, Ireland, Scotland, Great Britain, Italy, Poland, Portugal, and the Philippines have all placed these tributes. In 1992, the United Nations declared today October 17th, the annual International Day for the Eradication of Poverty. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1979. That was the day that the United Nations established the idea of holding an annual World Food Day. The aim of the day is to bring global attention to the problem of hunger and build international solidarity to fight the problem. The first World Food Day was observed two years later. One feature of the day is a teleconference that brings together some of the world's top experts in the field of agriculture, nutrition, and human rights. Each year, a different theme is chosen for the day. For the first two years, the theme was simple. Food comes first. In 1984, the chosen theme was women in agriculture. Women were again the focus in 1998 with the theme women feed the world. In 1986, the day featured fishermen and fishing communities. Small farmers were the theme in 1987. And in 2014, the theme was family farming, feeding the world, caring for the earth. That year, the United Nations declared 2014 International Year of Family Farming. A UN report found that 500 million family farms make up over 98% of farming holdings and were responsible for at least 56% of agricultural production. In the United States, family farmers produced 84% of all produce. The website for the 2014 World Food Day in the United States and Canada recognized the importance of family farm workers. It stated, quote, and yet, despite their critical importance, a large majority of family farmers are among the world's most vulnerable populations. 
Ironically, it's not uncommon for many of the families who produce food to actually go hungry themselves. Today on World Food Day, take a moment and thank a farmer. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1990. That was the day that President George H.W. Bush signed the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. Worker safety at the Nevada nuclear test site had been sacrificed during the Cold War era as the United States rushed to keep pace with the Soviet Union's nuclear arsenal. The result was an increase in cancers, including leukemia, from workers being exposed to deadly radiation. For more than a decade, these workers tried to get Congress to pass legislation for compensation for radiation sickness. Uranium miners from states including Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and Wyoming also joined the effort filing a suit against the government. The courts ruled against the workers, ruling that national security needs trumped the safety of workers. Democratic Representative Wayne Owens from Utah sponsored a bill to give the workers compensation. In a statement carried by the New York Times, Representative Owens called the bill, quote, an apology to those people and their heirs on behalf of the government and the American people that were subjected and sacrificed for the Cold War nuclear weapons. President Bush explained the scope of the act at the signing ceremony, saying, quote, the bill provides compassionate payments to persons with specified diseases who fear that their health was harmed because of the fallout from atmospheric atomic testing at the Nevada test site. Regardless of whether causation can be scientifically established, the bill entitles each person meeting specific criteria to a payment of $50,000. Uranium miners meeting separate criteria will be entitled to compassionate payments in the amount of $100,000. The bill established a $100 million fund for the workers and residents who lived downwind of the Nevada test site. Okay, that was labor history with, uh, what's his name? <laughs> anyway, labor history and World Hunger Day, you know, World Poverty Day. Wouldn't it be great if we had a world where no one was hungry? How about that? Vita now. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Four, one, five. Hello? Hi, Vita. Vita, can Hello? you hear me? Are we on? Hello? Are you there? Yes, I am. Do you want me to call the station number again? No, no, this is fine. I'm using my phone. Um, you can hear me okay? Yes. Yeah, the connection is good now. Oh, very good. <clears throat> okay, well, uh, 
How are you guys doing, first of all? How's everything? I see. I see. I'm I'm okay. Um, you know, given all the things I'm going through right now. <laughs> um, I did want to talk to you in Yemen. I mean, since he's not available, that's fine. I did want to talk to you in Yemen about the election. First of all, have you voted, and how did you vote? I mean, um, in what manner did you vote, not who you voted for? Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. And so, yeah. um, and so is Yemen. Have you heard? Any of any problems with the voting process around well, where you are in Davis there? Uh, nothing in Davis. I've seen a lot more people uh, outside, like, picketing and stuff and uh, showing, like, signs, by, like, for props or for different, like, uh, laws. And then I think they were striking something about the teachers I'm uh -huh. not sure, but I passed by the other day, and there was, like, traffic behind me, so I couldn't really see. Uh -huh. And there's been stuff like that, like, a lot more energy around that, but nothing specifically or that the whole community is rallying against. I did hear on Democracy Now! that they were messing with the, like, where people were dropping their mail-in ballot. I know. Uh, Can like, you believe that? Yeah, that they were putting fake ones in there. That's all bad. Ones, right, that to help people, they said. Help yeah, people right. get their votes. Right, um, right. Fake so, ones in Fresno. So if you take away the university community, is Davis itself a pretty conservative place? Mm, I would think. I mean, I haven't seen. I've seen here and there, like, some conservative things but not a lot not like crazy amount uh -huh. and for the most part it seems like there's a lot of like seniors that live here who are more maybe like intellectual or professors and stuff there's a lot of different people moving in now too because there's like a lot of development out here yeah um so yeah yeah people it's are becoming leaving, a new place people are getting priced out of the bay area <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I don't know. Anyway, um Okay, well, I mean, do you see a lot of Black Lives Matter signs or do you see more Black Lives Matter or more American flags? Uh, more Black Lives Matter. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah, more Black Lives Matter, I think, for sure. Yeah. And Yeah, I mean, because of the virus also, I think like everybody maybe isn't rallying around certain things as much as they used to. Uh -huh. But uh, it's, I don't know. It's been pretty chill here. There hasn't been any, anything. Yeah. So it's been normal. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I guess we'll talk next week as the Sounds election good. gets closer.
People Sounds are talking good. about. What's your opinion? You think <clears throat> Trump would try to stage a coup if he loses? He said he would leave the country if he loses. <laughs> wow. I don't know. I think he would try to stage a coup. And he would, like, try to incite people to just go crazy and start, you know, yeah. like, start doing something really messed up. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really bad. Okay, well, I'm. Uh, it's nice to talk to you. Give my best to Yemen. Hello. Yeah, can you hear me? Hello. Are you there? Hello. Okay. Well, I guess we lost Vita. Um. She seems to think that where she is, it's it's a pretty liberal place. Um, she has fear that um, Mr. Trump might try to stage a coup. Uh, she doesn't see any problems there with uh, voting or anything like that. So... Okay, well, that's our campus correspondent. And, uh, Sarah Nelson, something to, how about a modern protest song? Rick Lamar. Fuck Donald Trump. We can say that. Here's Milk. Can't keep quiet. Written during the written for the uh, women's march. No one ever will
someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. Never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Don't let anyone into your heart who's not a friend of labor because it's a waste of time. Richard Trungpa told us that 275 workers a day die on the job. It's a moral issue. Workers are being forced back to work because of the social system. Republican senators and congressmen reiterate, oh, we don't want to give them too much money because then they won't go to work. Now, what is that? Okay, where does that, how does that show someone thinking about working people in their lives? If we give them too much money, <laughs> they won't work. Okay. Despite it all, I want you all to have a good Saturday today, the best you can have. I want you to remember that of course they don't want you to join the union. Of course they don't want people to uh, ally across gender, cultural, class lines. Everyone who works is in the same class. So that's most of us, I'd say.
Okay, everybody. Um, have a good week and good work. Remember, the only the only way we're we're really effective is when we're together. Tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Kibo of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6. And I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, 
but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Well, shoot. From time to time, I get in the thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dear, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag-nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radio. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radio. Yahoo! Are the end times upon us? Not yet, my friends. Please, this is an impassioned plea from Pam Benjamin, director, Mutiny Radio. Let us live past October. You think it's a joke? COVID is decimating all of us, and especially us here at Mutiny Radio. We have money left until October 1st. Don't let anyone sing, despite of their size. Please, please go donate to our GoFundMe. Go to mutinyradio.fm and click that GoFundMe button. Or just go to Venmo, Mutiny Radio, all one word, just Mutiny Radio. Give us five bucks. Help us keep free speech and radical self-expression real and alive here in San Francisco and all over the world. Please donate to our Mutiny Radio GoFundMe and keep us alive in 2020 and beyond. Don't let our world end. I'm Italian, and we brought you fascistness with Mussolini, and before that, the Romans. So if you think you live in a fascist country, well, you do. Antitrump.com is the antivirus to the Trump virus. It started in 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better America. No one thought it would be this bad. He was a 70-year-old yammering Nimrod. How bad could it possibly be? 
We are now in a global pandemic without adequate leadership. Individual politics are not important. We need to rally behind curing the Trump virus. Go to antitrump.com. You, poetry reader, this is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay, we also have a soul and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast, June every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, new skin which is available at analogsubmission.com now go buy it and don't let poets lie to you once again that's andy talbot's new poetry chapbook old wounds new skin available at analogsubmission.com Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. We watch the best movies that, uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Radio.fm. 